You're inside the Mom Stuff Coffee. Don't forget, pick up your free praying parent guide all this month, anywhere you're listening to your podcast, as we gain some gems all month about parenting. You're inside the Mom Stuff Coffee Shop, a podcast dedicated to helping you get back up again, turning your pain into power, turning your trauma into triumph. I am your host, KK Smith, and I find joy in helping you get back up again. This podcast holds a space for you to grow, heal, and connect like you never have before. So grab your coffee and step inside the Mom Stuff Coffee Shop. Well, friends, thank you for joining us today inside the Mom Stuff Coffee Shop. I am joined today with Lila King, and we're talking this month all about parenting. So she's going to give us some gems on her journey to being a parent. So welcome to the show, Lila. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and to chat with you today. So can you give our listeners your journey into motherhood? Sure. Happy to. It's one of my favorite topics. (laughs) Um, So my husband and I struggled with infertility um, for about three years. We tried different fertility treatments and just nothing was working. And finally, the doctor told us it was really time to look into other options, whether we wanted to do surrogacy or adoption or a child-free life. And that took some time to kind of process and and work through um and so we finally decided we were going to go the adoption route thinking probably like a lot of people do that oh you go through the paperwork process and you're matched and you get this baby and you all live happily ever after but it's not quite that simple um we actually endured two failed adoptions uh that were domestic we were looking at just adopting domestically for um, simplicity. You know, there wouldn't be the extensive travel or time away from jobs and things like that. Um, But both instances, the birth moms decided to parent, which I totally respect. It was still heartbreaking for us because we thought we would be leaving the hospital with a baby and we didn't. Um, So long story short, we eventually were led to Haiti to adopt our two oldest children. And um, that was an amazing experience in itself. We love Haiti. It is such a beautiful, amazing country. And I think I will just always love it because that's where our children came from. Um, And then before they came home, so that in itself was almost a three-year process to get them home. The longest part of it was the immigration side of things. Um, So we were just waiting to hear when they would get their visa. We We didn't have any idea. And I had a friend who had a little boy and she was in a really difficult situation. He was three at the time and she asked us if we would adopt him. So he showed up at our house on May 1st and was this little firecracker of a little boy. And uh, I kind of knew him through her. And so it felt a little familiar, but it's still kind of overwhelming to have this child in our home. and. Anyway, um, 
So he came May 1st and then June 20th, we got the email that our children in Haiti had their visas and we needed to come get them. So then they came home. And so it was in the first 10 years, we had no children. And then in a couple of months, we had three. How old were they? So our daughter um, from Haiti was six when she came home. And our son from Haiti was four. And then we had the little three-year-old. So six, four, and three. And our two from Haiti did not speak any English. And I knew like maybe 10 words in Creole. I mean, I couldn't even form a complete sentence. I just knew, you know, the basic words like, are you hungry? Are you sleepy? Do you need the bathroom? That kind of thing. Um, so we played a lot of charades <laughs> until until they learned English. And that's one of those bittersweet things. I would have loved for them to have kept their first language, mm -hmm. but I didn't know it and no one in our community did. So I hate that they lost that, but I will say it was a relief when they picked up English because it just made so many things so much easier for us. And they picked it up really quickly. You know, they say kids can pick up languages quickly and they can, I was pretty surprised, so. Now, yeah. How old are they now, your three children? So our daughter is 18. She's graduating this year from high school. And then our son is 16 and the youngest is 15. Wow. So all teenagers, I know. Wow. I know. That's yeah. amazing. So can you tell us about some of the major cultural differences that you found immediately and also long-term with raising children immediately with the kids one thing that kind of surprised me um when i would try to discipline them they would not they would look down they wouldn't look me in the eye like i was like i was always taught to do and i i would tell them look look me in the eye when i'm talking to you and they wouldn't and i later found out from a Haitian friend that I made that it's disrespectful for children in Haiti to look adults in the eye. And so I was getting on to them for something that they were taught to not do, you know? So that was, then I felt horrible, you know, like, oh, I'm this horrible mother and, you know, all the mom guilt that you have. But it did help me to understand where they were coming from. And so I just dropped that, like, you don't have to look me in the eye. Um, and that was honestly one thing we were concerned about adopting transracially, because initially we were just going to adopt within, my husband is half Hispanic. So we were either going to adopt Hispanic or white, um, just because that's all we know, you know, but God had other plans. I really believe this was the family that he created for us. And I'm grateful for that every single day. But yes, culturally, you know, I don't know how, I mean, my kids are being raised white because we're white. Right. Um, people, I hear that a lot and it's true, but I will say, um, especially the, the older they have become, I have had, well, my husband and I both have had to reach out to other people in our community um, and ask for help, ask questions, um, because there's a lot that we don't know. And so I feel so grateful for the help that other people have come along and given us, whether it was with hair care, whether it was, um, you know, when the kids start driving and the discussions you have to have with that kind of stuff. Um, 
and, and even like uh, church, you know, we yeah. go to, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty much a white church, <laughs> Yeah. but once a month we do go to what my kids call black church and it's an all black congregation and it's different, but it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And we all love it, myself included. Um, and we feel very loved and welcome there. So you definitely, when you're adopting transracially, and I am no expert on this, like I feel like I learn something every single day, um, you, but you have to be willing to learn for your children's sake, you know, because they're going to leave us someday and they're gonna have to know how to navigate the world in skin different than mine. Um, and if I, I just feel like that's really important because I don't wanna set them up for failure. We all want our children to succeed and be safe and happy and, and all of those things. And so it has required me to step out of my comfort zone and to learn new things. And you know, that's not a bad thing. It has enriched my life so much and given me a new perspective on things, even though it's not my lived experience. Right. Um, it definitely has helped me grow, not only as a mother, but just as a person in general. And I'm grateful for that. Now, let me ask you, as far as the children are concerned, has there been any regret about living in what you say, a white culture, um, mm -hmm. totally different from how they grew up? I understand there might have been some conversations about, okay, am I going to ever go back to my culture, language, friends, family, um, if they were old enough? So has there been any regrets from the children or any hardships mentally, emotionally? If they have regrets, they have not voiced those. We have talked about uh, going back to Haiti several times to visit um, and they, I they're not sure how they feel about that yet. So I just take it as, well, they're not ready for that step quite yet. Um, and, and I have flat out asked them from time to time, do you wish you had been raised by black parents? And all of them have said no, but I don't know if they're saying no so that I don't feel bad, even though it wouldn't make me feel bad, but, right. or if, that's just that this is their life and this is their reality and it's kind of all that they know now my youngest son the one that was adopted domestically and that i know his birth mother we and we remain in contact with her he does miss he misses her I, very much my two from haiti they were in the orphanage for so long that they really do not remember their birth parents mm -hmm. um which is sad, it is. Um, but my youngest son, he, and of course we keep in contact with his birth mother. He does miss her um, and he misses, I think just being, you know, with that part of the family. Um, she's not in a place where we can visit on a regular basis. We mainly keep in touch through the phone. Um, but I'm hoping at some point that we're able to kind of reunite him uh, with her so that that need that he has is fulfilled because that's a part of him. You know, that's, we wouldn't, he wouldn't be him and we wouldn't have him without her and, and without his biological family. So, yeah. So, so their kids are now 15, 16 and 18. 
Yes. How did you all handle last year the death of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter protests as a family with all Black children and you and your husband, you being white and him being half Hispanic? So how were you able to talk about that? How oh, yes. did they feel? How, you know, how did you move through that time? Yes, those are great questions. Um, so we did a lot of talking, a lot of talking. Um, and it it's interesting because I think a lot of people, well, I shouldn't say that, I shouldn't generalize. I, well, I'll just say it feels like a lot of people in our lives think that, you know, all white people think one way, all black people think one way, and none of us do. We're all individuals and we all have our own perspectives and experiences. And I saw that even with my kids. My daughter was very, very distraught, but it moved her, like her passion now is social justice. Yeah. And she has gotten very involved in um, just following and learning more about social justice and different cases that have happened in the past and are still happening today. She's very, very passionate about it and she's very, very bold about it. And I love that and admire that in her. My uh, middle son is more, he just thinks, and, and I agree with him, but I also agree with my daughter. He thinks we all just need to love each other. You know, that if we love each other, we can overcome all of this. And I agree, but at the same time, there has to be justice. You know, there there has to be justice and mercy and love. It's all together. Um, so that's kind of his perspective. And then my youngest is just, he went through a period where he was just scared. Um, you know, scared to leave the house, scared of, he's always kind of been scared of police officers um, because of situations that happened in his life um, with his with his biological mom. And so he has a lot of fear um, where that's involved. And of course the George Floyd case did not help his fear at all, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's just lots of discussions uh, lots of prayer, lots of learning on our part as parents. Like I said, it's a continual learning thing, um, trying to figure out our role in, um, you know, I just feel like the more I've learned about all of this, that this country, um, it was built where white people benefited. Right. Um, and so you have this whole history that you have to kind of unlearn and and for me and my husband relearn because we weren't taught any black history in school i mean martin luther king and while he was an amazing man there's so much more to black history than martin luther king um and so i just feel like we're constantly learning which is a good thing i just my personality i'm like okay can i get to the point where i just already know it all and i don't mess up and i don't say things wrong or okay. you know because that's never my intent but i do mess up and say things wrong or i may not understand it or it may take me a while to unpack it and figure out oh i have thought that or i have done that and that's not right you know so yeah it's a lot um, it's a lot for our kids, but then it's a lot for us to try and 
figure out as well. Yeah, I think adopting a different race, you're going to always have to start with empathy because yeah. empathy uh, helps you to understand another person better, but especially parenting another person. Mm -hmm. um, so how much of your journey has been just raw empathy? I, I can imagine if, if any of your children were abused or traumatized before you parented them, that a lot of your journey has had to be um, fragile. I interviewed a mother, a stepmother, um, and she came out with the word fragile. So has that been a part of your journey? Has that been the foundation of your journey, raising Black children, possibly abused children? I don't know if they were traumatized or abused, but mm -hmm. you've, you had to be very fragile and a totally different culture. Right. No, you're absolutely right. So adoption is always, whether people want to admit it or not, Adoption is always built on brokenness. Mm. They lost their first families were broken up. You yeah. know, they lost their first families for yeah. whatever reason. And they have to, and that, that in itself is traumatic, yeah. you know, and, and they have to, and then like my two from Haiti, not only did they lose their first families, then they were taken to this orphanage um, and they were there for years. So they dealt with the trauma of being in an orphanage. I think lots of people think an orphanage is, oh, this cute little place where they sing songs and have snacks and everyone's happy. And there's a lot of abuse that goes on in orphanages as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, you do, it's everyone that comes, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but in our case, we were broken from the fertility journey and I'm not, really comparing that to what my children lost. We really just lost the dream of having biological children. They lost the reality of losing their biological family. Two completely different things, but it's still lost. And then their birth families also lost their children. And so everyone coming in to it, it it's based on loss. Yeah. And so it is this fragile um, thing that you have to maneuver through. And, you know, I, myself now looking back at myself when we first got the kids, while we were waiting, I, we took so many parenting classes, read so many books, especially trauma related and adoption related um, to try and be as prepared as possible. And while that is definitely part of it, like you say, cultural wise, there was this whole other layer that we were so ignorant of and so unprepared for. Um, but yes, parenting children from difficult beginnings or difficult places, it is, it's, it's amazing because on the one hand, there is that fragility that you're talking about, but then when you also see the resilience yeah. of the human heart and yeah. what they're able to overcome. Yeah. And I mean, we have not done this alone. This has taken therapy and uh, behavior modification and, and even medication. One of our sons, we found out had ADHD. We thought it was just behavior. And, you know, once he was on medication, a lot of that behavior went away. So, I mean, it's taken a lot of professionals to come alongside us 
and a lot of just loving members of our community to come along beside us and and help us. I mean, it's like they say, it takes a village. It does. And I think that's true of any parenting, but yes, especially of our situation. And let me ask you this. Did they have a propensity to trust you more because you were not the familiar? So sometimes if we're surrounded by a familiar set of people and those people give us trauma and pain and abuse. Sometimes when we're with another set of culturally different people, whether it's by race or color or even mindset, were they able to trust you more because maybe they looked at this as a safe haven or did they not trust you at first? I would say it was a mix. Uh, it, It seemed like both boys trusted us pretty much right off the bat, especially my youngest, because his life had been so much turmoil um, and bounced around to a lot of different places before he came to us. And so I think being in the same place did give him some stability where he trusted that I'm going to get up tomorrow and tomorrow's going to look like today did, you know. My daughter, on the other hand, I don't know if it was because she was older at six. I mean, I know that's not super old, but it's not a baby either. Um, If it was that she was older or if it's just her personality, because this is also her personality. She did not trust us for a long time. I mean, I'm talking probably the first two or three years. Wow. Um, Yeah, I thought, are we ever gonna get to break her wall down? I I mean, it was, she was kind to us and we were kind to her, but you could definitely feel that she had a wall up. Um, And so it took her a lot longer to come around and trust us. But you know, like you were talking about with empathy, when I put myself in her shoes, I probably would have been the same way. Yeah. Yes. So being that they were broken, how did you handle discipline? Like, was it ever physical or did you just mainly use punishment, take away things? How do you discipline? I think this is excellent to know for our listeners in case they are adopting, you know, children that have been through trauma. So how would you advise someone to handle discipline? For us, we did not do physical discipline, even though we were both raised by parents that physically disciplined us. So I'm not saying that, you know, it it doesn't have its place. But again, our situations, we were living with the people that birthed us. They, our children were not. And so we did not use physical discipline because we did not want to scare them. Or like you were talking about with the trust issue, we were still trying to gain our daughter's trust. And so we did lots of timeouts. We did um, uh, taking away like things that they liked, you know, like maybe TV time or um, a toy that they liked or something like that. And, and we would always talk about this is what happened and this is the consequence. We talked a lot about choices and consequences, that there's good choices and good consequences, bad choices, bad consequences. And we can always choose the choice, but we can't choose the consequence. Yes. I yeah. tell my so, kids that all the time. That is so Because good. it's true. Yeah. It's true. And I think it's so important. I love that you let our listeners know that you don't always have to resort to 
physical discipline. You can take away things and you can establish communication of expectation. And you yes. can say, okay, if you do this, this is the consequence. Now, I think communication is so important. And a lot of parents, a lot of children that are abused, they come from parents that do not have effective communication because it all starts with communication and having um, expectations. Okay, this is how we expect you to act. And this is how you should want to act. And then having the child to communicate back with you. So were they able to express their true and deepest feelings to you all without feeling, um, okay, I'm going to get, you know, disciplined, even if it was hard for you as a parent to listen to. So maybe they didn't want to do something or maybe they wanted to talk to their sibling somewhere else. Or did you establish that open communication for your children all the time? We sure tried. Um, I hope that we did. Okay. I will say, you know, when they first came home and they were young, especially the boys, you know, I don't think that they really knew how to put into words necessarily what they were thinking or feeling. Um, so with one of my sons in particular, he would just have, and, and this is my son from Haiti. So he was not speaking English at the time either. So I know that was a frustration for him, but he would have, I just called them meltdowns where he would just start. It breaks my heart to even think about just wailing, just crying and wailing. And it was just this guttural sound that would come from him. And he would just sit, and I mean, it could last an hour. And I think that was him grieving. Um, even though he had been in the orphanage and maybe didn't love it, that was still another loss in his life that he had to grieve and then come here. And, you know, at first, I'm sure the kids were so frustrated because they didn't understand what was going on, couldn't speak the language. Um, and so when they were young, there was lots of that processing it just through crying, through meltdowns. Um, and in those times, even though it was it could get exhausting just mentally and emotionally listening to that, I would just try and hold him, pick him up and hold him um, so that he knew that it was okay to, to cry, to get these feelings out, and that I wasn't going anywhere and I loved him. That was kind of how we handled when they were little. And then we've always tried to have open communication where they can come and talk to us about anything at all. And, and we tell them, we may not know the answer, but we'll find the answer for you um, or help you find the answer now that they're older. Um, and I think that's, that is so important to establish that at a young age, whether they're your biological children or adopted children, because once they hit those teen years, mm -hmm. you want to have that open communication yeah. and you can't, if you didn't build on it when they were little, you can't suddenly have it when they're teens because they talk a lot less when they're teenagers. That is so important. That is so much food for our soul for any parent or anybody trying to establish a strong relationship with anyone, especially children, especially broken children, to be able to establish that communication. You could tell me anything and yes. not fear. I think if a child has fear, they're not going to tell you everything or anything or even feel that they trust you enough. Mm -hmm. So 
I think it's a delicate balance to be able to discipline a child and a child also open up to you because they were broken. So is there anything that you want to tell our parents that are adopting children that we might not have discussed that they need to know? I would just say prepare as much as you can ahead of time. Um, Because even I have friends that have adopted newborns and even with newborn adoption, at some point they have to process that loss of their first family in their first life. Um, And that's a, that's a lot. Like I can't imagine what that feels like. I really can't. So I would just prepare as much as you can through educating yourself as much as you can. And then also give yourself grace, give your children grace as you go through the inevitable bumps in the road that are going to come because they will. (laughs) Here is one thing I've kind of seen in the adoption community that bothers me a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess because we came from a place of simply wanting children. I have seen, there seems to be in some instances, not all, this savior mentality of, oh, I'm going to go and save a child. That's, that should not be your intent is to save another person. I just feel like the the people that I know that that has been their intent, things have not gone well because they look at the child as a charity case or, or it's, I did all of this for you. I adopted you. I brought you into my life and you're not appreciating any of it. It's that kind of mentality. I hope I'm expressing myself oh, here. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Um, and so please do not go into adoption with that intent because that is not good for anyone involved. Um, I guess that's the only thing. I just really want people to know why they're adopting and really just self-examine that for yourself. You don't have to explain it to anyone else, but just really sit with that in your heart and ask yourself why you're wanting to adopt um, because there's a lot to parenting adopted kids. Okay. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful and amazing and I don't regret it, right. but it's not just you skip off into the sunset and live happily ever after. Okay. So I understand that a lot of people want to save a child. So what perspective should instead someone should come from when going into adoption? Well, I I just think if you want to adopt, it's because you're wanting to either create a family or expand your family. And that is another avenue to do that. But if you have biological children or you were wanting biological children, you also need to understand that it's not going to be the same as having biological children. Um, And that if you adopt a child, that's a lifelong commitment. You know, it is the commitment piece is just as if you gave birth to the child, but there's all this other stuff that you have to work through, you know, the loss that I was talking about earlier. Um, And I don't think that we can expect our children, whether they're biological or adopted, to ever really be grateful um, to us because they didn't ask, my kids didn't ask to be adopted. They actually had no say in it. 
you know? Um, and I didn't necessarily ask to be born, but here I am. Um, and, and while I do appreciate my parents, I remember one time trying to thank my dad for something he had done for me. And he said, you'll never truly be able to thank me until you are a parent yourself and you understand parent, you know, what parents experience. And so I think just if you're going to go into adoption, educate yourself as much as you can and just go with the intent of we're wanting to create a family or expand our family. Um, but then also know that it's going to be different than creating a family biologically. And I think it's so important to the language with adoptive children to not put them down and remind them all the time. Okay, I saved you now. Remember, I saved you now. Remember, if they go, if they grow up listening to that, it's like that could damage their self worth even more. Exactly. You know, I have to perform or do something to be worthy. You know. Yes. Yeah. You know. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That just creates this whole unhealthy uh, mentality for yeah. them. Yeah. You know? Because if a, if a natural parent does that, I could imagine if an adoptive parent would do that to a child and I've heard it, I've, I've read mm -hmm. about it. I've read about the story where this young man, you know, he was a teenager and he was adopted and then they gave him back years, you know, because mm -hmm. like you said earlier, they didn't have him from a child. They, right. you know, they parented him from a young man and that's quite different, you know, and maybe you weren't prepared mentally for mm -hmm. this and, and maybe, you know, it was some type of disruption in their family um, because yes. they adopted this child. So it's so important to consider all the pieces before you go into adoption It is not for the faint at heart. It's not. And another piece of that that just popped into my head while you were talking, it's so important that they're able to talk about what they're feeling and what they're experiencing and about their biological families. Um, like I said, my kids from Haiti don't really remember their birth parents, but they have a biological sister that was adopted by another family here in the States. And we keep them in contact. And it's so interesting because all three of those kids are these amazing track stars. Mm -hmm. um, they look so much alike, you know, and it's fun. It is fun to be able to get on Skype with their sister and see the physical similarities because we don't look like our children and our children don't look like us. Um, and so if there's any way you can have any kind of contact with any of their biological family, that is super important. Um, and then just letting them talk about, I'm sad today, I miss my birth mom. That's okay, that's normal, that is healthy. That does not mean that I am not also their mom. It doesn't take anything away from me. Um, it just, they need to process that and they need to talk through it. And I would much rather them talk to me about it than somebody, you know, out there that doesn't know the first thing about adoption. Um, and so just be open to any kind of biological ties that you can maintain for them and be open to letting them talk about how they feel about their adoption or about their birth families. That is so 
So important. so important. Yeah. And not to feel like you're losing anything if they do want to connect yes. with, with their family, their original Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So it's like I tell my children, there is enough love in my heart to love all three of you. And so there's enough love in their hearts to love two families. Yes. They don't have to not love their birth family to love us, yes. you know, or they don't have to not love us because they love their birth families. Their love is multiplied, right? There's enough love for them to love their biological families and their adoptive families. Yes. And I think conflict only comes in when we're not providing a space for that. So like in step parenting, if you're not providing a space that, okay, you can respect your biological mother as well as your stepmother. You're not providing yes. space. You're actually asking the child to choose between the two. So yes. I think that's so important that we do provide a space to the children to say, you know what, it's okay. It's okay if you can yeah. with this family as well as our family. We both love you. And it's however you feel. So yes, exactly. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about your book? Yes. So my book is 365 Days of Encouragement for Moms. Um, and it's just a little snippet every day, uh, an uplifting thing, you know, to remind you that you're doing great. I felt compelled to write it last year um, when we all came home because of COVID. And I saw the, the mental toll it was taking on mothers. They're trying to work from home. They're trying to help their kids do school online. And then all the juggling that moms do on top of that. And so many were just struggling so much. And my heart went out to them because that first year when the kids came home, I felt so isolated and so alone because no one really knew, no one in my life knew, no one had had three kids all at once and two of them that didn't speak English and kids from traumatic backgrounds and all of those things we've discussed. So I didn't really have anyone to, to vent to or to talk to. And my husband was working long hours and I was home all day long with three kids. And I felt like I was drowning. I really did. It was the happiest time of my life because I was a mother, but it was the most challenging time of my life yeah. because I was thrown in to this motherhood and with three kids and it was all very overwhelming. And so when I saw mothers struggling last year, I thought, I know how that feels and they need encouragement. And so I wrote the book and it is, it's just, it starts January 1st and there's a little snippet there on January 2nd. And I mean, you don't have to read it every single day like that, but it's just a, a book of encouragement. Um, it's a hardcover book and the book designer, I should have had it here with me so I could show you, but the book designer did a beautiful job on it. It's a beautiful, like, I would consider it a keepsake gift. Um, the back, there's a section called Mama's Journal and the book is called Love Like a Mama. Okay. And uh, in the back is Mama's Journal where you can write down funny things your kids say or or if you had a bad day and you need to get that out, just write it out in the journal. Um, and those can be bought on my website. It's Lila, L-I-L-A, Harrison, King.com. And 
The books are available there to buy, or there's a paperback version available on Amazon if you want paperback. So, okay, very nice. So it's time for something to sip on. Each show, I ask my guests three profound questions. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> okay, so my first question is, what brings you joy? Being with my family, honestly, I just love I love my husband, I love my kids, but then also my extended family, the family I grew up in. Um, family always brings me joy. Now, the next question is, what are you working on in your life now? I am always working on too many things. <laughs> I always think I can do a million things at once. So I am working on building up my public speaking. I'm working on my podcast that I do every week, but then I'm also working on personal development. I always want to, to learn and to grow and to become a better version of myself. I love that. And <laughs> the last question is, what has been your greatest life lesson? That is a great question. It really is. I think my greatest life lesson, and I, I hope I express this clearly, is that the challenges that come into our personal lives, whether it's divorce or death of a loved one or adoption, uh, whatever it is, I truly believe those are for us individually to, to learn and to grow and to become better versions of ourselves. Um, and that in those challenges, the lessons that we will learn if we will allow ourselves to be taught, mm -hmm. those are lessons that can only be learned through that challenge. And so it's kind of like, just even though it's difficult, embrace it because oh. you're going to come out on the other side of it and you're going to come out a better person. I really, really believe that. And over the last, I'll say two years, because I haven't always heard from God, he's had to give me many, many life lessons, but I've lived my life that way for the last two years. Just the lessons come in our lives for a reason and they, they're they here to teach us something. God is not trying to destroy us, he's trying to develop us. I believe that so much in my heart. So Lila, thank you so much for joining us today inside the Mom Stuff Coffee Shop. Friends, you can access everything about Lila King anywhere you're listening to this podcast. And thank you for joining us today inside the Mom Stuff Coffee Shop. today's episode was food for your soul and fuel for your life. You can go to anywhere you're listening to this podcast and find out more on our guests. Please rate, share, subscribe to this podcast on any platform. I am your host, KK Smith. And remember, you can always celebrate wins and get back up again inside the Mom Stuff Coffee Shop.